Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Dan Johns, engineer of Bloodhound SSC, the latest attempt at the British Land Speed World Record, talks about his involvement with the project and its goal to inspire a new generation of engineers and scientists by overcoming the seemingly impossible by using technology, maths, physics and engineering. That almost makes me sound intelligent. Thank you. Um, who watches Top Gear? Anybody? Top Gear. Okay, I'm, I'm not the Stig. So, um, the other thing I'm not is actually a public speaker. I'm an engineer, so um, that's my caveat if this all goes very wrong. So, uh, we'll, we'll get started. Um, just a word of warning, I've got some video content in here, so um, it's going to be quite loud. So, uh, just be prepared for that. And uh, we'll try and get you to, to home for your dinner um, as soon as possible. Okay, um, I'm not starting with a geography lesson, but I thought I'd just explain. Uh, I am an engineer. I'm not used to these kind of environments. These sort of very large forums. Um, more used to sort of sitting in a design office with uh, six other engineers talking about fast cars. Um, so I, I prefer much smaller environments, and, and that's partly because I actually come from there, the Shetland Islands. Um, and the one thing about the Shetland Islands, it's not known for, for well, certainly not known for land speed records. Um, it's, it's known for being pretty cold. Um, it's got some fantastic landscapes, uh, some great little fishing villages. Um, it's partly why I live in Devon now, because I get to, uh, to spend a lot of time in villages like this. Um, some funny horses, the Shetland pony, um, and oil. Uh, that's partly why I was there, because my father was in that industry at that time. Um, you'll, you'll note from my very broad Scottish accent that uh, I wasn't there for very long, but uh, we moved south to, uh, to Sandhurst, and um, so I sort of grew up in, in that area, really. So, Right, um, as a, an engineer on, the, on a project like a, a land speed record, I often get asked, um, what car do I drive? We, we have this uh, fantasy garage uh, game we play at work, and all the cars I like in, in my fantasy garage. My colleague, who's um, worked extensively in, in motorsport, designing most of the Formula One cars, he doesn't like any of the ones I like. I don't like any ones he likes. Um, but we all drive actually very similar cars. That's my day car. So we all drive very beaten up old. This has got 100,000 miles on the clock now. It's parked outside in the West Car Park. Um, so it's 70 horsepower. Um, it's not very fast, uh, but it's really, really efficient, and that, that's one of the things that I wanted to, uh, to to get from a car was obviously efficiency, and that's kind of part of my own engine adventure is this kind of understanding speed and efficiency and how can you combine that, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, as I said, it's not very fast, uh, so it doesn't really. Um, give me what I want in terms of performance for my own car, so I do also have one of those. So that's, that's a bit more like it. That's a Caterham Super 7. Um, it's got a Cosworth engine. It's about 180 horsepower, that one. Um, and that's designed for just sprint, fast acceleration. Um, but acceleration's good, uh, but the top end is only about 120 miles an hour, so it's not really fast enough. So I've managed to find another solution, 
I've also got one of those. So for me, that is the uh, ultimate sort of combination of speed and efficiency. Um, you don't take up much room on the road. Um, you don't get stuck in traffic jams. And that one will do about 200 miles an hour. So I, I haven't ridden it about 200 miles an hour. 185, yes, but not too. So um, that's what I've always been kind of... Uh, interested in is that combination of, of that and, and my career in aerospace I'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff later on um, where you can now combine those two things um, it'll sound a bit abstract later but hopefully it'll make sense um, so Bloodhound then um, is actually um, not principally about a land speed record um, it is to inspire a new generation of children to want to be scientists and engineers and that's our number one goal. Um, I think number four actually is breaking a land speed record. Number five is achieving a thousand miles an hour. Um, so it's very much uh, uh, built as a as a program to really captivate imagination. And I left a very good job with a pension and all the other things because I, I came across this project and just had to get involved because it was like I remember as a kid, some guys in the shed taking lawnmowers apart that kind of stuff, and, and it really is like that. Um, well, okay, we're not using lawnmower engines. But, uh, um, so this is a, a typical environment for us to be in. Um, a lot of schools engagement. We've got about 4,500 schools around the UK engaged in the project, so we're actually connecting with about 2 million children already. Um, to put that in perspective, the Olympics have got 6,000 schools engaged in their programme, and they're a year away from going live. We're two years away and we've already got four and a half thousand so we might actually beat the Olympics on, the, on that one. Um, and we'll certainly do the 100 metres faster for sure. So uh, we, do, we take the project into schools and we do these um, activities for um, all age ranges um, and we do these uh, model cars, balloon cars with blow up the balloons. Um, we, we probably also own the uh, hold the record for the amount of balloons we've blown up. There's a, a hell of a lot of uh, balloons, connects stuff. And the, to see, honestly, to see the children actually all engaged in it all day long is a, a fantastic experience. And from a presenting point of view, it's the most challenging I've ever done, is to present to five-year-olds. Um, so if anybody wants to practice presenting, go and do that. Um, so this is Humphrey. Um, sort of trying to understand why we want to inspire more engineers and scientists. Well, in the future, in the not-too-distant future, um, we're going to have this problem of uh, reduced um, or, or living in a low-carbon uh, environment. And we've grown up as a society from the, the legacy from the Industrial Revolution, which in those days we didn't really know the effect of the you know, consuming fossil fuels and things like that. So... We have this massive shift we have to make from a, a high-carbon economy to a low-carbon economy. And in, in order to do that, pretty much everything we, we um, have domestically uh, as a product needs to be completely re-engineered. So we need um, a, a, a massive upsurge of scientists and engineers to, to resolve those issues. Um, why Bloodhound in, in, in terms of that? Well, we know that large-scale iconic technology projects um, act as an inspiration. 
This graph is from the, uh, what we call the Apollo effect, um, from the space program. You can see the blue line is the um, amount of PhD physics students. And between the 60s and 70s, during the Apollo program, there was a massive surge in interest in, in science. So we know there's a, a connection to that. Obviously, NASA were funding a lot of that, but there is a, a, definitely a correlation to iconic projects. Um, uh, growing up um, in my granddad's shed, um, I used to make little airfix models. He, he was a mechanical engineer on the Spitfire. Um, I also had the privilege of actually seeing the first night flight of the, uh, the shuttle. Um, and Concorde played a big part of my life. And I actually saw the last ever Concorde fly uh, when I was at uh, Airbus in Bristol, and it flew in. Um, these are all iconic projects, but they don't exist anymore. So what is out there to act as that inspiration? Well, hopefully that's where we fill the gap. So this is Bloodhound. The, uh, what, what, it will look like that. It's, uh, it's not built yet, but um, a thousand mile an hour car. So talk a little bit about the um, design challenges for... Uh, doing something that's actually never been done before. Um, and we, we actually break it down into four key areas uh, to set up our, our, our design thinking. Um, is it slippery enough? Uh, well, the shape of it needs to go through um, air, but unlike something like Concorde or missiles, they fly at altitude where the air is nice and thin. We're at ground uh, level, so it's all, it's all quite thick. So it has to be a really sleek shape. That one's quite important. Um, it needs to stay on the ground, uh, partly from Andy, our driver's safety, but also, if it doesn't stay on the ground, it's not a land speed record. Uh, is it strong enough? Um, it's actually uh, about 12 tonnes of force acting on the car per square metre. So it's, it's, it actually does see quite, quite huge loads. So the, the actual car itself has to be very, very strong. Um, and it has to stay in a straight line. Uh, talk a bit more about that later on um, and I'll show you some videos as to, to what happened with the last land speed record driven by Andy Green so uh, I'll sort of contrast the rest of this this talk with looking at Thrust SSC that, that Andy drove and, and Richard Noble um, project directed and it, it's still Andy again on this one so uh, he's said to me that he was really keen on making sure this car drives in a straight line. So I'll show you some videos later. Um, it's quite odd for me to talk because I spent a long time in aerospace, so I was comfortable talking about things, terminology like supersonic and Mach numbers and things like that. So to actually be working on a car and talking about supersonic and Mach numbers, we probably have the only car in the world that has a Mach dial as a speedo. Um, so you'll see there, this is actually... Uh, the, the three cars that, that really have held the, or the, certainly these two, have held the land speed record here in Britain uh, since the uh, mid-80s. So this car is Thrust 2. This was um, Richard Noble's um, land speed record. He drove that car to 633 miles an hour. Um, and then about 10 years later, um, 
produced this car, which is Thrust SSC. Has anybody seen the videos of Thrust SSC? Has anybody heard of Thrust SSC? Okay. I'll show you some videos of that later on. So that's the first car that ever went supersonic on land. Um, you'll see there that we're now trying to make a quite a big jump between the last land speed record and, and the one we're hoping to achieve. Um, that's actually the biggest increment in uh, land speed record. A lot, if you look historically, a lot of the um, speed records have fallen with very, very small marginal speed increases. We're going for about 32% increase. So it's a, it's a huge challenge. There's a massive unknown um, in that area. It's a very different car. We can't take the, uh, the, the, the old one and just make it go faster. Um, and we're well up into the supersonic range here. So we're, we're designing for around Mach 1.5, as you see there. Uh, this is Andy driving thrust SC. This is actually at the point of going supersonic. So you've probably heard of the sound barrier the, and the pressure wave. Um, you can see lots of YouTube videos of airplanes flying, and you see the big pressure wave um, building up if the air's nice and moist. So you see here, this is, this is the pressure wave just building up across there. And the sonic boom could be heard 14 miles away. And uh, I think it actually even broke windows in schools and things. Um, so that's a, a very iconic picture of, of that car going supersonic. All this dust here is actually not from the wheels. It's called spray drag. This is, this, this is that shock wave hitting the ground underneath the car, around the car, and actually just smashing the, the, all the earth up. So um, part of the reason I wanted to show you that was the in those days, in terms of engineering, there, there wasn't much, uh, well, there certainly wasn't any aerodynamic data you could use to, uh, to, to, to look at for a supersonic car. Um, and in those days was really this, this terminology here, CFD, computational fluid dynamics, what we sometimes call colourful fluid dynamics. Um, what that does is it's basically a computer that's doing lots and lots of number crunching, trying to understand what air is doing around a body. You'll see a lot of that terminology in Formula One and aerospace. Um, what you see here is this line is, is where, we, or where we thought that shockwave would be. Um, although... In those days, there, was, there were no reference points for that, so you couldn't validate that. So we couldn't go to the desert with that car just based on, on that nice, colourful picture. So what Ronez came up with was we needed to test a scale model. Well, you, you can't find a wind tunnel and accelerate air over a static model because you need a rolling road. And in this case, we were aiming to do 800 miles an hour. So you can't go to a wind tunnel with a rolling road for 800 miles an hour. So if you can't do that, then you take a model and you accelerate the model through air. So this video is of um, that model uh, at Pendine Sands. Um, so it's a model mounted on what's called a sting at the back here. And then there's, some, there's a little rocket pack on the back which accelerates it. Uh, there's the sting. Uh, there's some of the rockets. Um, I think there's a nice rear end shot. So these are military rockets that they use for testing um, missiles. And it runs on this track. And there's this, this ground plane we put in here. These yellow things are the, the back sheets for the high speed cameras. The reason I'm showing this is so you can actually see what 800 miles an hour looks like. 
There was one morning they fired it and it, it actually hit a seagull on the on the track. So don't don't blink. There's all the rockets. Anyone miss that? It's going to go again. Yeah. So, um, that's 800 miles an hour. Um, we're doing, our car is going to be 250 miles an hour faster than that. So that's a whole Bugatti Veyron uh, again. So, um, I like showing that video uh, because <laughs> you just see how damn fast that thing is and uh, if you stood on the side of a, a, a football pitch and this car came past as it comes in from one goal end it will leave the other end if you blink you'll actually miss it that's how fast that is so um, we now know with um, mod more modern computing power and analysis that we can rely on the computational fluid dynamics. So we're not going to do that test again, unfortunately. I would love to have gone there and played with rockets. But um, the good thing is this car has got a rocket for real, so um, we will get to play with rockets. So this is a, a picture of, of now sort of our car being simulated in a computer. Um, it's a lovely picture, although for us it's quite scary because this is actually showing we have um, about 13 tonnes of lift at the back of the car. So the PR guys really like this picture, um, but us as engineers, um, it kind of, it, 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 yeah, we lose sleep over this. So um, what we actually want to see is a nice green uh, pressure map over the car. So we've actually designed nearly, well, it's actually 11 cars now, and it's all the time you just, you're designing, you're testing in a, in a computer world, and then you hopefully converge on, on what gives you the right solution, which uh, I'm pleased to say we have. So this gets us excited. It's not a pretty picture because it's just nice and green. So under the car and across the top of the car. So this really happened uh, so sort of uh, end of quarter one last year. And this was the point where we all knew this was possible. So this is, this is a really exciting time. So um, if you're going to build a really fast car, one of the things you need to start thinking about is how you're going to power it. What's your engine? So... Um, we have to look around for um, other things that go really fast. Um, and Richard went to see Lord um, Drayson with Andy Green and managed to convince the government to lend him uh, a Eurofighter engine. So we've got a, a, a Typhoon engine. Well, we've actually got three. We've got, um, we'll only use one in the car. Uh, this engine will uh, develop about 20,000 pounds of thrust. Uh, that would accelerate the car on its own up to about 600 miles an hour. Um, but that's not fast enough, so we need another, another type of uh, power plant. So we also have a, Europe's largest hybrid rocket. So we've got uh, a, a, a very clever chap called Daniel Jubb from Falcon Rockets who's developing this for us. That gives us another £27,000 of thrust. Um, if ever you're in the market for looking for rockets... Uh, you can't get them on eBay, um, and you've, you're down to really three choices. You can have a solid fuel rocket, a hybrid rocket, or a, a liquid rocket. We needed a rocket that we could control, or Andy could control, quite conventionally with a, with a throttle. Um, unfortunately, solid fuel rockets, just once you light them, 
they're gone. You, you can't extinguish them. Um, you'd have to eject it from the car. Um, a liquid rocket, like, uh, like you'd see on a, a, um, a space rocket, very, very volatile chemistry on, uh, on its own, and to put it together um, would require quite an extensive amount of, of health and safety and a huge amount of knowledge and development. So that didn't really work for us either. So a hybrid rocket is a, a bit between the two, where you've got inside a... This is actually a, a solid element, which is basically just really dense rubber. There's nothing um, uh, too special about that. Uh, in the back here, there's a, what's called a catalyst pack. What gets pumped through that hole there is um, very highly concentrated peroxide, called HDP, high-test peroxide. It's a, um, that, as a fuel system, has been used for rockets since the sort of 30s and 40s. Um, it's very stable on its own. Um, it won't burn if you put a match to it. But um, if you put anything that's biodegradable on it, it will instantly combust. So um, you, you, you wouldn't want to put it on your hair. It's, uh, uh, although a, a much lower concentration of it is exactly that, it's, it's peroxide um, bleach. So that gets pumped in here, it starts to degrade here, and just about here it comes out as, as superheated steam, um, and that superheated steam starts to burn this rubber, and that's where you get the, the thrust. So I'm going to show you the uh, test video of that to give you a sense of the power. This is going to be strapped to the, basically, Andy's back. Um, run again. Incidentally, this is only a third, a third power. So that's only a third power. The, the Relative to the screen, the flame would be somewhere over here. Um, and we're going to be firing the full power one uh, hopefully later in the year here in the UK. So um, if you're following it and you have a look on our website, um, you'll be able to see that uh, uh, very shortly after. Um, right, so two big engines, 133,000 horsepower in total, which means we have quite a lot of fuel to burn. Um, and that rocket will consume about just over a tonne of peroxide in about 17 seconds. So we need quite a big, a powerful pump. Um, this is a bit I like when we're presenting in forms with Formula One engineers because our pump is a Cosworth Formula One engine. So um, that's a 750 horsepower Formula One engine and we're using it as a fuel pump. Um, that really winds them up, actually. Oops. A uh, quick run profile, the, the land speed record is, is um, the rules, you have to do two runs within an hour. So you go, uh, you fire your car up um, and it goes through some timing gates for the measured mile. Then at the other, when it's stopped, it turns, you have to turn it around, refuel it, etc. and send it back. And the average of those two times is what gives you the record. So on this graph here, this middle bar is that timed uh, measured mile. 
So I'll quickly run through that profile. Um, the bottom red line is just the, the speed as it goes up, and this is the uh, acceleration measured in, in G-force. So the first 10 seconds, actually my Citroen C2 is faster. So um, because with a jet engine, you can't run on full reheat straight away. You can't just power it all up because it, 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 they're like big vacuum pumps. So they'll just suck all the desert out. So you have to, you have to get some, some forward momentum. Uh, so it's, a very, it's quite a slow start. Um, about 15 seconds in, up to about 135 miles an hour, and then hits the, the afterburner. And then you get some nice big acceleration curve up to about 320, where the rocket sequence starts. And then about 440 miles an hour is running at, at full power, and then it's right up to 1,000 miles an hour. So it's, to go from zero to 1,000 is um, about 43 seconds. Then he holds it there for three and a half seconds for the measured mile and then takes the power off. The natural drag of the car will start to decelerate it at 3G. So he gets a massive, massive um, 3G deceleration. Um, and then we've got to slow the car down, which is, uh, you know, apart from accelerating up, the, you, you've got to stop it. So uh, we have several braking uh, philosophies at the moment. We're still actually working on which ones are the, uh, work the best. So we have air brakes, so they'll be deployed to increase the drag. And then we have uh, parachutes. Um, we have two parachutes. We'll probably only use one. Um, and then we get down to more conventional speeds, and we can use disc brakes, that, uh, that you, same kind of technology on, on, on cars. So that's the, the curve. So the whole run is about 90 seconds. So in 90 seconds, he'll be uh, 10 miles away. Um, so it takes about four and a half miles to accelerate and about four and a half miles to decelerate. Then we've got to turn it around and do it all over again. So in terms of will it stay on the ground, the main thing is we've got that aero, that nice green picture I showed you earlier on. That means it's nice and stable. To trim it, we've got winglets on the front. So um, we'll use those for, for, for trimming it when we start understanding the car as, it's, as we build up through the speeds. Um, straight line. I thought I'd show you this one because this is Andy with the last car. Um, and also this is, a, this is a supersonic run. So as he's driving, you'll see he'll um, be trying to follow a white line, which you can just sort of pick out here. Um, and you'll see how slow the start is. It's all very underwhelming to start with. But about, half, about halfway along, you'll see the car jumps right over here. Just, it just shifts left. <clears throat> you'll also see, if you look carefully, I'm sorry about the video, it's a bit grainy. You'll see, the, you'll see that shockwave building up around this area here, on the top of the canopy. And you'll hear this screeching noise, which is, um, is, is that air as, it, uh, as it's accelerating. So off he goes, starting to get the reheats. I'll be quiet now. It, it comes back. There it goes.
I'm going to show you the same thing, but from inside the cockpit. But this time, I want you to have a look at the, the amount of steering he's having to do. And also, when he calls out 700 miles an hour, look at where his hands are in the steering wheel relative to the, uh, to the car. Let's see, ready to roll. I can see wood car He's starting off um, with the car actually... The steering pointed over to the to the left. So at low speed, he's having to do a lot of corrections at low speed. You don't really see that so much on the uh, on the video, but the tail video. challenges is keeping that thing in a straight line. Um, part of the reason that, that thrust SSC was veering off is because the rear, it was a rear wheel steered car and the rear wheels were, had, had this configuration. This isn't thrust SSC, this is, this is our car. Where you had this asymmetric steering so the, the shockwave was coming in under the car and hitting the front leading wheel and the air would separate and build a big pressure between the two and that would get the car a massive amount of lift and car would jump left. So we've gone for quite a conventional steering to, uh, to, to make sure we can uh, avoid that. It was very brave actually at the time when 
he first observed that phenomenon of the car jumping left, um, he actually found a way of driving through it. So as the, uh, the programme went on, um, he was expecting it. So he knew he was going to have to correct it, and he knew it would actually straighten up. So um, very brave. So we're not having those wheels. Um, we're having those wheels. So um, that's going to give us a, a sort of a head start in keeping things straight. Um, strong, is it strong enough? We're actually using quite conventional, um, well, well-known um, aerospace and motorsport materials. So the, the cockpit is a, very much like a Formula One tub. You've probably heard of the tubs or monocoque. The composite, big composite shell. It's a bit bigger than a Formula One um, tub. And the rear structure is a, what we call a space frame um, in three main bits. There's, there is actually a lot more to it, but the, the Cosworth engine sits about here. The fuel tank for the HCP sits about here. Um, you've got jet fuel bit here, and then you've got the, the, the rocket that sits here, and then the jet above it hangs above here. So that as a as a sort of a, a structural package is actually um, uh, we're very confident with that because we're using quite conventional materials and uh, design methods. Um, <clears throat> talk about design methods. Wanted to talk a bit a bit about efficiency and speed. And um, this is the structure of the car. the The blue bit is actually how a computer has simulated where that structure should be. So this is a very organic kind of simulation. So this isn't, the blue bit isn't designed by uh, someone like, like me actually crafting it in a, in a design. The silver bit is, this is how we would, we would design. So we've overlaid this computer simulation of how, um, where all the loads are going over the top. The blue bit is actually there for the, arguably the optimum shape in terms of its efficiency. But we don't design like that because that's actually quite hard to make. So we look at that and say, well, you know, what, what if you could make it like that? If that's how nature resolves design, if that's, you, know, you put material where you only need it, um, then that's got to be the most efficient way and the lightest way of actually making something. So I started uh, playing around with, with that, and this is kind of takes me back to my aerospace days. Um, other people that look at shape in that way, um, artists, um, I apologise now, this is where it gets a bit abstract, so if I lose you, <laughs> I apologise. Um, if you look at nature, it's not rectilinear, and artists have a completely different philosophy of that. So if you can combine all of that, what would you be able to make in the future? Um, so I started looking at trees, looking at how the tree roots grow out the ground and how they bundle together um, and become a structure here. But inside is also a, a tree as a pump. It's got other functions. Um, and I kind of went on this really <clears throat> abstract kind of journey of, of, you know, if you could mimic that, there's, there's a subject called biomimicry now, um, then you can make, make things in a, in a completely different way in the future. So I started looking at where people are doing that and putting art and technology together and found a collection of, of um, this is a company called Materialize in Brussels. They've done exactly that. They've, they've got onto this technology called 3D printing or additive manufacturing um, which uses lasers and it just combines materials and builds materials up from the inside out. The way they've expressed that is through these, this collection of, of lamps and art, artistic pieces, very complex shapes. They've all been, they're not machined or, or uh, uh, moulded, they're actually just, they're grown. These are grown shapes. Oh, this is quite a nice sort of mermaid's delight. That's a ball within a ball within a ball. 
So I start to look at these and think, well, if you had that amount of flexibility and freedom of design, then um, ultimately we would make things in the future that uh, only have material where you need it, so they'd be very efficient. This lamp, it's called the, I think it's called the tulip, it, it's made as one piece, it opens and closes. Quite, quite interesting, the stool, similar thing. So where can you use that in, um, in uh, engineering is where I took that in, in aerospace. So I started looking at other industries that uh, need that ability to um, match shape and function, uh, but need that, that amount of, of um, free-form uh, manipulation. So they started using it in medical, and this is a titanium sculpture. I called that an in-service repair because I, I was in aerospace at the time, um, although it obviously didn't work for this chap. But uh, the, the ability to actually just print a shape and put it where you want was what we were going, going on to. So things like um, hip replacements. There's a big industry growing up around, around this now. Um, these, these are all um, grown out of titanium, these shapes. So I was looking at it, well, how we design bits for the car would be like this. So this is a conventional bracket, but if you know how to manipulate the loads or understand where the loads are, you can get something much more organic. But you wouldn't ordinarily think to design like this. But if you then look at the two, you end up with quite a big shift in, in reducing the weight, but also the amount of material you use is much, much less. So this is something we're, trying, we're exploring on this car to be able to sort of show. And, and again, we've done a lot of this in Formula One, but nobody tells you about that. So this type of component, you would get a big block of metal and you would machine it all away. So you end up with this big pile of shavings and this little tiny component. With this process, you only use the material you need in the parts. This is where you get this much, much less waste. So I thought, well, where can I do that on the car? So I'll go back to the steering wheel because um, Andy's only interested in, obviously, the, um, obviously the robustness of it. And he said um, he'd, he'd like it to be a custom-made steering wheel, unlike this one from Thrust SSC. He actually broke uh, one of them um, during the, the testing period of Thrust SSC. As you can see, all that movement, all that, that um, reacting all those loads through it, um, it go, goes through, gets quite a pounding. So he wants a bespoke steering wheel. So I thought, it's great. I've now, I'm onto this technology that you can, have, you can design whatever you want by nature. Um, so we scanned his hands. Um, so this shape here now is actually Andy holding some clay. And then we scan that and turn it into a, a computer model. Um, and then we um, worked with Lancaster University. And I, I said to the students, about thinking of trees. Now, where the hub, go back to that last one, where that's the centre line of that, that's important. How he holds it is important. How these two are joined up was actually where you could start playing artistically. So I said to them, think about trees, and this is where uh, they've got these root, sort of tree root inspired. These all conform to a mechanical design. We sit next to um, SS Great Britain down in, uh, up in Bristol. And also we've got the suspension bridge. And I was thinking of bridges, suspension bridges, cables. Um, and we started playing with, with this. So we're starting to bring sort of art and engineering, and just bring it together and see what happens. Um, Andy's still out in Libya um, doing his day job as an RAF uh, chief of staff. He doesn't know what I've been doing, so it's going to be a bit of a surprise. He might not like it. Um, 
The other thing about trees is they also are a host for other things like vines. So this one we call vines. Um, we're, not <laughs> we're engineers. We're not, you know, we're, we're not artists. So being able to play with that kind of um, ability to create shape. And then we combine the two, and um, this is the current steering wheel where we're just showing the, all these vines on the surface. Actually, the real one, what you'd have is all the... Uh, all the electronics and all the systems inside all actually uh, combined inside. So the real one won't actually have this on the top, but in this format, we're just trying to show the complexity that will be on the inside. So that's where we're going with the steering wheel. Um, it's quite interesting uh, to really challenge our own thinking as well about uh, shape and, and things, but it will be the most efficient um, steering wheel and, and, and the fastest one. So um, there it is, root and vine. So... <laughs> where we are with steering wheels. So, um, in the future, the ability to put material where you want and shape, we can start um, having structures inside things where uh, you have different mechanical behaviours. We can start um, actually building bridges and structures in a completely different way. So this is actually becoming quite an exciting um, field of, uh, of research. Back to bloodhounds. Um, for us, though, the next steps and... In the spirit of getting you back for your dinner, I'm going to start wrapping up. Um, at the moment, we've got this desert program out in uh, South Africa where we're running the car. We've got a big lake um, area. We've, our, our track is a, a mile long, uh, sorry, 12 miles long, one mile wide. And in the dry season, uh, we have to go and pick up all the stones. So we have 24 million square metres of desert to uh, clear. Um, put that in perspective, that's a road from Bristol to Moscow in surface area. Um, so that programme is actually nearly complete, and then we'll have another flood season, which will then polish the, 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 the surface a bit more. So we're all, all prepared, um, and we'll be out there in 2013 um, going for a new land speed record. So I thought I'd leave you then with the little video um, that we put out on YouTube last year. This is bringing it all together and letting you see where we're trying to go.
Incidentally, when that video went out on YouTube, um, the American network Fox called Richard Noble and congratulated him on breaking the, uh, <laughs> the last three record. <laughs> um, genuine story. Um, so I think it just leaves me to say thank you for having me here, this project here. Um, I hope you've been inspired. Um, and hopefully when you all grow up, you'll be an engineer or a scientist. Um, and if you want to follow us, go on our website. We've got uh, ways to engage it. You can put your name on the fin um, for about 10 quid. Um, you can join the 1K club, come and see us, um, get involved. So um, thank you so much for listening.